Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Better Wolf Podcast. We're talking about section two of the book review, the and asset. I had the opportunity to walk through with a bunch of financial professionals that are going through our and asset endorsement program. And what was really fun is section two is a lot of content. We talk about compounding, we're talking about control, talking about the five elements of banking, we're talking about taxes, and, and just so much more. And it's based, again, around the concept of efficiency and so there was some highlights in there. I'm sure my team's incredible and they're going to take out highlights and really give you some of the best of the training. And so the hope is you'll listen or watch and say, man, I want to get a copy of Caleb's book. So you can always go to Amazon and, and pay full price for it. Or you could go to betterwealth.com slash vault. It's betterwealth.com slash vault and get this for the cheapest price that it's selling. The other thing that I want to say is this. The and asset vault is everything you need to know about the and asset. We have case studies, we have testimonials, we have over 100 plus and counting frequently asked questions. We have a master class. We have so many other resources for um, whether you're a financial professional or whether you're um, someone that's looking to apply an and asset in your own life. Like we wanna be the one-stop shop uh, for you to equip you and to help you show up powerfully. And so go over to betterwealth.com slash vault. And it's totally free by the way, because selfishly we want uh, people to learn as much about this powerful strategy as possible so that they can be equipped and take back control. And so without further ado, here's section two of the end asset. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. I had a blast last week. I don't know if any of you guys could tell. I was on fire. It was going through memory lane of thinking, okay, efficiency and the importance of efficiency. And I'm really excited because when we actually launch the and asset course, you're going to see that in meeting one, it all comes down to efficiency. Like we're not talking about products. We're not talking about things that really don't matter. We're talking about efficiency and we're making it valuable. And so going through that just was really, really a powerful thing. And just to go back on um, my boy Steven in talking about, you know, already want to modify the book, which by the way, I appreciate because that's exactly why this book was written. Like this book was was written because I read other people's books and I'm like, you know, I don't really love that. And and so a lot of people are like, I like how the book is written because it's easy to understand. It's like, I'm not that smart. I've just taken five books that I sort of like, put it all into one and walked people through that process. And so that gives you just a, maybe a little bit of context of E equals MC squared. The point that I wanted to make is the two C's represent the two financial functions. Obviously, like in the book, we have multiple ideal benefits, but at the end of the day, the functions, you could boil them down into future value, compounding or control. And then it obviously, if Albert Einstein came up with a third C, we probably would come up with another C to be honest. So now we're gonna talk about compounding and this is really key. And probably when, when I asked Jason Lowe, who's my business partner in Canada, when I asked him what the most profound thing was as it relates to the and asset, he talked about this idea of uninterrupted compounding. And Albert Einstein, who never really said this quote, but he's, he's like one of the most misquoted people for saying this. So at this point, we probably could give him credit because who cares, you know, people just know this as his quote. And he talks about the eighth one of the world is, uh, well, I can't read the quote, but it's compound interest and he who understands it earns it, he who doesn't pays it. And, and so that's just like 
this was always interesting for me because it's this like like putting the stake in the ground being like okay what why is this so valuable and so one of the things that we need to do is we need to understand what is compound interest compound interest is this like amazing amazing force and it's a function of three things and we talked about this last week but it's a function of your mat money over time growing and it's awesome right and so the difference between compounding and simple interest is simple interest is just something like if you back in the day like with cds put your money into something they pay you like two three four percent but it doesn't you're not the next year you're not earning on the interest and principal you're not getting that exponential deal the other thing that is really really valuable as it relates to uninterrupted compounding is the lifelong aspect of this and so it's that we are playing and you'll want to write this down we are playing a life time game we're playing a lifetime game when you commit to a compounding strategy you should commit it for life the metric that should measure that is for life majority of financial strategies and people don't have a good metric long term to compound money over a lifetime it's just it's just something that's interesting now the power of the penny doubling and this is something that i shared when when i was with with you guys in dallas it's like this really interesting thing and i think it teaches people a lot and, and a lot of people remember remember it about your penny doubling. But the reason I put this is I not only wanted to talk about the importance of compounding, which, you know, it's obviously your, your penny will double and be over $5 million. Like that's pretty amazing. But I think it, what it does such a good job with is then it shows you the extreme examples of what a fee can do, what losses can do, what, um, you know, a two, uh, a 15% tax. And like, and it goes back to, what we said earlier is every time you lose a dollar, you don't just lose that dollar, but you lose what that dollar could have earned you the rest of your life. And so the big thing is don't disrespect the value of a dollar. We don't disrespect the eighth one of the world. Majority of financial plans, people are disrespecting the eighth wonder and, and, it, and it shows up in almost every area and it's, and it's very evident. Here are the three areas where people are really getting crushed. And then, and then the fourth one is all obviously use, but anytime we lose money, I feel like, again, this is very much of a, a reminder from, from last week. You don't just lose that dollar, but you lose what that dollar could earn you the rest of your life. Any fee, any unnecessary tax, any area that we use money with and not understanding the consequence. The reason this is important guys is when we start meeting with clients, we need to be experts at highlighting areas that they're losing money. IE, this is an efficiency aspect. And the real winner is when you show them money that you're saving them, and then you're showing it over their lifetime. Because you could save them $10,000 a year by being helping them with taxes and potentially fees and potentially eliminating losses or whatever, being more efficient as they purchase things. But $10,000 every year for the next 30, 40 years is amazing. And that's, so the knocking over the domino with uninterrupted compounding is strategic on multiple levels because not only do we want to teach people that not only do most people buy into that but then we can also truly understand opportunity costs when we understand compounding all right so now we're going to talk about the the effects of the transfer and and david this is where this is where your question gets answered is in the book we talk about losses and taxes and fees and we and we take like you have 5.3 million dollars and if three days it doesn't compound you're you now have less than a million and if you paid 15 percent tax you know every year on the growth so 
and another way to say that is that you didn't double your money. You just grew it by 85%, which is pretty, pretty good. If you ask me, um, you have nowhere near the million dollars, a 2% fee. What's, what's interesting about that is a 2% fee ate up over 2 million bucks. Again, these are extreme examples because we're putting the variable as doubling your money each year or each day, which is crazy, but it's still like a 2% fee ate up over $2 million and then losses. And then when you include them all, and this is where I use the calculator. And what I did was I, I just, I compounded that. And this actually highlights a really good example because you can't just subtract each of these numbers. You wouldn't get, you wouldn't get a true value because of opportunity cost. If it was just one year, if it was just static one year, you could. So what we could do is if you lost $10 and then through tax, you lost $5 and then through a 2% fee, you lost $2. You could add up those together and say, this is your loss and subtract it from the number. But every time you use another year, now, now you're taking the lost opportunity cost, if that makes sense. And again, just, just put in the chat if that makes sense, because the lost opportunity aspect is really, really key. And that's why, you know, losses, taxes and fees are all the way down to $51,000. None of our clients are living in a bubble. They're experiencing multiple losses. And the reason I didn't include use in this category is if I put a use, I actually used, you use some of the money, you would have a negative number. And I didn't want to have a negative number in this book because I just thought that would be way too dramatic. So this is just, this is not assuming anyone spends any of their money, which we all know is like the biggest wealth transfer over your life. Um, but yeah, when you add losses, taxes, and fees, it's pretty insane. This question is a money question. I want to share this, the background story to this. So Todd Langford is a mentor of mine. And at one of his workshops, he asked the question, when people look at a rate of return and they say, oh, that's a horrible rate of return. We have to be able to ask the question compared to what? Like compared to what? Like is 4% a bad rate of return? It compares to what? To a savings account? How many of us would love to have 4% in a savings account? That would be great, right? Maybe 4% in a mutual fund might not be good. That might not be something that we're excited about. But we also have to understand all the other factors that our money is, is facing as it relates to, to your financial life. And I, and I say that sincerely, you guys, because a lot of times when we look at life insurance, the number one thing, especially if it's whole life insurance, the number one thing that will be is like, oh, like that's not a great rate of return. Even if you look at like over 20, 30 years and we have to be able to, we have to be able to number one, not be able to be hurt over that or, or try to justify it. We just have to understand, okay, 4% compared to what? Because are we comparing this to an investment? Are we comparing this to Bitcoin? Are we comparing this to rental real estate or are we comparing it to a like asset? And I, I think 4% when you include taxes, when you include alternative fees, when you include other things like risk, I think it's a pretty solid thing for the asset and where it, where it falls in line. So one of the big things that I've really like, this has changed my life is Early on, I would be I would be very much focused on okay. I'm going to I'm going to compete with these things, and I've taken a step back and just been been very much like okay, you're you're making statements, but they're with half truths. And when you understand the whole picture, you're going to understand that four percent might be more like seven percent, 
if you're going to compare them to other investments. And oh, by the way, there's a ton of benefits that life insurance brings that no other asset brings. And when you compare all the like benefits, it's really hard to say that that's not a good to have in your portfolio. And it's, and again, this is like, this is the thing that probably um, has positioned us to be strong. One of the strongest um, compared to other people is because we, we lean into this and we're not trying to beat over the people's heads that life insurance is the only way uh, to, to your wealth. All right. So the, I, I, I read negative reviews and probably, probably the most negative reviews come from this section right here, because rightfully so people are like, you are cherry picking, um, dates where this perfectly works and they're, they're correct. I, I looked at over a 19 period of time where the market got a percent. Why, why did I care about that? It's just like, I wanted, that's what everyone was saying. Like, oh, the market will always get 8%. And if I had to rewrite the book, I probably wouldn't include the section because it makes me come across as someone that's anti-investments um, or anti-market. And for those of you that know our practice, like we have an RIA, like we have, like we, I am pro investments. I'm not anti any investments. I just, um, I, and I've also said publicly, if you're going to put your money in the market, like indexes are not a bad uh, way to go. And we could have a whole discussion on the pros and cons of that. So whether you believe this or not, um, this, what I did was I just took a, a period of time and, and looked at where, where the, the average rate, rate of return was over 8%. And then what you do is if you factor in the, the things, the taxes, the losses and fees, you realize that people don't have a fraction of what they, of what they thought. And so actually in the book, pull this up, um, in the book we get, when we add, when we add fees, taxes, and um, and losses, you get you get a rate of return of 2.94%. Now let me ask you this. Are we giving the people the control to utilize their money while they're making a, a whopping 2.94%? No. I want, I want that to sink in. So this is chapter, or this is page um, 38, where I break down, okay, 4%. Is this good or bad compared to what? And, and I did, I did cherry pick this, but look out over a 19 period of time where you take the S&P where your money's only doing one thing. And yes, we're, we're making some assumptions with you're paying tax every year, which is, you know, doesn't happen in a qualified plan and you're paying a 2% fee, which if I had to do it again, I would lower the, you know, it again, this is where I got the most um, criticism from the book. But the point is I wanted to lay out, like you could say that an 8% is, is better off than a 4%. And I just compared to what I would almost take the 4% knowing what I know and giving my dollars two jobs rather than one. Um, anything that I feel like I'm. Yeah, no, here's, here's what I'll say about everything that we're looking at. This is just ammunition at the end of the day when people come at you and tell you how bad life insurance is because we know that life insurance is an amazing asset, and has amazing attributes. But at the end of the day, life insurance is its own asset class. It has a different utility than anything else on the planet. So when you can't compare it to investments, you can't compare it to, in my opinion, you can't even compare it to a savings account because the savings account has such different attributes that our life insurance has. They're so different. So what Caleb is sharing with you, this isn't to say that life insurance is the greatest place in the, the world to store money or it's better than this or better than that. But what he's telling you is just, hey, look at what is going on in the bigger picture. And it's giving you firepower when other people say, hey, 
like life insurance gives you a low rate of return or uh, life insurance isn't a, it doesn't give you, um, you know, essentially what you're looking for. You can go put it in the market. But at the end of the day, that's what's most important with what he's saying. Yeah, absolutely, man. And these, these eight questions are, again, meant to be for like embed these as we go through processes with people and you're meeting with people like these are all door openers these are all things to keep your mind like 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 the first question will your money be safe as it earns lifetime compounding the uh, the way i would modify that is are are your clients are people that you're meeting are they getting their money compounding the rest of their life it's a good, it's a good question to get people to think about and then what does that mean Second question, do you have a strategy to best utilize money without hurting lifetime growth? Obviously, that's a classic and asset question, right? Is Do you have the ability to utilize capital without hurting or disrespecting the eighth one of the world? I um, there's, a, there's another thing that I'll draw is I'll draw compounding curve and then I'll draw it like 65 age 70 and like draw a line and say majority of people, like we wanna say, let's compound our money, let's compound our money, but we're taking our money out when we could get the most growth. And so it's like we're disrespecting this quote unquote eighth one of the world and it's it's problematic. And then number three, does your money have any guarantees to get lifetime compounding? Obviously, that's a direct, you know, play into the guarantees that we have using having with life insurance, especially whole life insurance. And then number four, how will fees be factored into your wealth? This is a good question. When people are meeting with you, if you're able to highlight the areas that they're they're losing money to fees, it just, again, creates more credibility you know, number five is your lifetime compounding uh, potentially impacted by the government or or regular regulatory change. This is again, what does the future regulations? And we're going to have a whole chapter on taxes. What does the future of where your money's ha housed? How is that going to affect? How is that going to affect your wealth? Like that, right? Right there. I, I talked to right before coming on. I I chatted with a CPA who got referred to us and um, she wanted to know a little bit more about our about our firm. And she she literally, she didn't know anything about our company. And she, she was saying, I don't like this idea of a 401k because people think it's a tax savings, but I don't think we're gonna, like taxes are gonna be lower in the future. This is someone that has no background on insurance or whatever, she's just intelligent. And she's, she's like putting things together. She's saying like, I don't love that I only have an option to, to kick the can down the road and and i don't know what that's going to be it doesn't feel like a true savings and and it's like wow like that was that was powerful and that was something that she said without even being you know led or coached um number six is your lifetime compounding um passive or does it take active management it really comes down to who you're meeting and it's a good question as it relates to is my money continuing to grow and how much work is it going to take number seven will your lifetime compounding continue to grow if something happens to you like a disability or death Guys, this is, you guys know this, this, this has a lot to do with life insurance right now. There are certain riders or there are certain things that can be in place that even if something happens, i.e. you die or i.e. you get disabled, that doesn't need to hurt the lifetime compounding of, of your wealth. We'll get into that when the, when the program actually starts. And then number eight, how will taxes uh, present or future affect your lifetime compounding? Another way to ask one of the questions above. Any, anything, Dom, that you want to say before I go to the next uh, thing? Um, what, there's something that I did want to mention when you were talking about uh, before, when it was the simple versus the compound interest. Yep. 
I think it's important to understand that we want to earn compound interest, but pay simple interest. And that's important to know because of how our loan rates work. And so if you let your interest compound over each other on your loan, you're now having compounding interest on top of each other. But if we are paying the interest and we're paying that simple interest, we are now having simple interest on our loan, which means we will be going, we'll, we'll be way ahead on the other end. So um, when we're teaching people how to use the and asset appropriately and to be uh, responsible, we always at the bare minimum want to tell people, hey, you don't have to essentially pay your interest back if you choose not to, because the death benefit will pay for um, your loan if something ever happens to you, God forbid. But it's important to understand that if you pay at least the interest every single year, you'll always and forever will only pay simple interest. But the second you miss that, that interest payment, you are now paying compounding interest, which is what we don't want to do because you can see how powerful it is when you're having that compounding interest uh, tap on top of each other. And we don't want it to go the other way. All right. Uh, I like it. Compound interest should be on your side. And, and going going back to Albert Einstein, says he who doesn't, which back in the day, he said he, but I think if he had to re-say this quote, he would say the person um, would, you know, dis the person that doesn't understand it's going to work against them. If you look at this country and you look at the world, a lot of people are getting, they're on the wrong side of compounding interest, which is really sad. Um, this is, this, this, uh, example in the book of world being flat around was really profound for me because um i was i was really struggling with the the idea of like the life insurance long term and even in the first couple of years you'll find that like you don't have dollar for dollar access to your money and it was just really hard for me to grasp and i had a at a coach slash mentor he just said caleb is the world flat around now i don't i'm not opening up for debate on this topic so i respect all opinions but I was like, oh, it's round. And he's like, okay. And he kept on asking. I'm like, what are, what are, what are you getting at here? And he pretty much said, it depends on where you measure. I'm, I'm coming from you in um, Denver, Colorado. It's very mountainous here. But if I go outside, I can find a piece of land that's very flat. And I could come to the conclusion that the world is flat by what I measure. So hear me out here. It depends on what we're measuring. For compounding to work, for compounding to be valuable, we have to have a lifetime time frame. We have to think multiple generations. We have to think longer than tomorrow or five years. Kevin, I'm going to mute you. Um, so we're going to we have to think long long range kind of deal. And the and the problem with with all this stuff is um, a lot of people again going back to last week feel like you need to choose. You need to choose between either controlling money. Or, or compounding it. And the cool thing about the and asset is we're allowing you to take that long-term approach and give you the ability to still have access to capital to do other things. But if we really understand the power of lifetime compounding, we really lean into that, it's going to set up control powerfully and it's gonna then set up controlled compounding in the function of allowing your money to do multiple things in a really powerful way. And so think about this book was essentially taking a bunch of examples from the real world and and pretty much each each page essentially has different questions that you could bring up or 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 thought processes as it relates to that and then this just goes back to what dom said about earning versus paying and you know talking about you know amortized interest and and simple interest and you know earning compound interest and and what i would say is a lot of people again are focused 
on, you know, I don't want to be in debt. I hate paying interest. We're going to jump into my favorite chapter, which I probably have said a couple times. It's like, it's like, I don't have kids, but I'm sure, um, everyone secretly has a favorite. I believe that Dom, but they don't say they have a favorite. Um, so anyways, um, <laughs> compounding or slash control. So control is the second C and this, this, you guys, it really comes down to if someone doesn't value control, they're not really going to see the power of the and asset. I mean, we'll, we'll in a section when we, we go through the course, we're going to talk about life insurance and retirement. And there's people that are very, very smart that will talk about why life insurance enhances your retirement portfolio. So that is a, that is a route, but at the end of the day, if people don't value control, it, the and asset becomes less valuable to them. It, it still, it still works. And we're going to show you guys how you can position it, but control is going to be the thing that separates you. Cause at the end of the day, majority of people are not teaching their clients on how to better take control of their wealth. And so, um, the greatest financial need that you have, this, this one is, this one is another question. It's like, okay, Dom, what is the great, what is your greatest financial need? And it could be like you, if you're not thinking about it, you could see like retirement or maybe paying for your mortgage or getting a good rate of return or reducing fees. But at the end of the day, everybody's using money and your greatest, your greatest track record, i.e. is like using money throughout your life. And so we have to understand like, if that's your greatest financial need, why isn't anyone showing you the best way to efficiently use your money throughout your life? And uh, this one was a, a really creative picture that Mariah got. And it's talking about the, we need to start thinking through the lens of control. We live in a world, again, the institutions don't want us to um, value control because they're using control and making a killing. And so we have institutions like banks and Wall Street and, and the government that, that are literally incentivizing us not to, to give up control. Every government-sponsored plan gives, you, you have less control by contributing to that than maintaining control. Putting your money in, into banks, well, I mean, obviously we, we use it, but like at the end of the day, there are institutions that control our money way better than anybody else. And so it's like you start looking, it's like, oh, that's how they're becoming wealthy, and yet they're teaching me to compound my money for the rest of my life. So it's kind of interesting because I'll talk about the powers of, compound interest. But then on the, on the flip side, I, I will also say like the, if I had to choose between one or the other control is the way to go. And, and I, again, I'm going to call control the ninth one of the world, because I want people, I, I want to start helping people understand that we need to start stacking some of these concepts. Again, Steven, it goes back to, could we add another C? Absolutely. But at the end of the day for this book, it, it really comes down to the tug of war between compounding and control. And you can fit almost everything, including security and consistency and comfort into one of those C's. Investing at the center, it, it's, it's funny. I've, I've said this publicly a couple of times that if I had to redo the story, I would choose Warren Buffett. I, I use the example of Mark Zuckerberg um, and, and use the idea of like, you could own Facebook stock, but who has more control over their destiny? Mark Zuckerberg or or uh, you that has a, a share in your mutual fund. It's like, yeah, you, you own it, but at the end of the day, you're, you don't have any control. Whereas Mark Zuckerberg has a lot of control over the fate of, of Facebook, better or worse. The reason I love Warren Buffett's using him as this example is, is Warren Buffett is known as like the stock guy. Like everyone quotes him for like why you should invest your money for the long term and do index funds and all this stuff. What's hilarious is Warren Buffett made all of his money by being ruthless 
taking capital and, you know, buying and selling companies, buying a company, clearing out the leadership, doing mergers. Like it's not a, you might like Warren Buffett. I, I respect how he thinks, but when he acquires your company and you're a, a VP at a, at a company, like you better be valuable because you might not have a job next week. So that's again, did he make his money through compounding or did he make his money through control and through controlling and consistency that compounded over time? Again, I get fired up about this stuff. It's your passion. You get it. So, so then it really comes down to, um, you know, every step we take away from the center, you know, there, there's a cost to that. It, it d diminishes the, contr the control that we have. Um, and it's, it's a problem. And so here are the nine elements when it comes to keeping your money safe and really when it comes to um, the importance of controlling your money. And let me go to it in the book. Um, so these are what I would call the, the nine elements to mastering control. Okay. So the first one, and this is, this is really key as we go through it, take mental note. When we're talking to people, we, these are like, these are again, conversation starters. Okay. So number one, how important is safety to someone's life? For some people, it might not be important at all. For others, it's, it's really important. Warren Buffett's two rules to investing is don't lose money. And number two, don't listen to rule number one. So it's like, okay, how important is safety to your financial life? The second one is how important is liquidity? What is the definition of li liquidity? Another way when I read this, um, to, to study for, for this session, I talked about opportunity fund being a really good place for, for liqu liquidity. Liquidity is your ability to access money and have it quick. And so what is the value of that? What is the value of having your money leverageable? Obviously this is a way to set up for, for the future of the value of life insurance. What is the value of keeping your money private? I, you know, if you have a conversations with, you know, Ryan, you're going to know that privacy matters. You know, they're ready to go no matter what happens. Right. And so like privacy may not matter as much to some people and it might, it might be a, an emotional hot button for others. What, what's the, what's the importance of protecting your money from taxes? What's the, like, how valuable is protecting your money from fees? What, what's, what's the, what's the importance of protecting your money from inflation? Like we're, we're going to enter a time where inflation might be a, a big factor. Um, what's, what's the importance of protecting your money from restrictions for, like the, the government regulations and then, and then protecting your money from human life value. And one of the things that I wanted to do to read in, in human life value is this idea of, of things that, so your, your ability to earn income is your greatest financial need end of story. Like it is the most important thing um, as it relates to major majority of your wealth. Like majority of us would not be here if we didn't have the ability to create value. And so how protected or how con in control are we if something happens to our health or if something, if, if we get disabled or if we have a health scare or other things, like there's certain things about insurance that are super valuable because they, they step in when things happen in our life. And, and again, this is not necessarily just a life insurance only, like it's important to have the right insurances in place. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say is when we talk about number three, leverageable on page 51, on page 51, paragraph number four, 
I talk about control costs. $10 is the control cost. So 1% on 1,000, how much does that cost to control that 1,000? $10. So I probably could rewrite this in a clear way. So what I'm saying is $10, I'm really glad this is not a typo, by the way, that would be embarrassing. Um, $10, it costs $10 for the bank to control 1,000. And so then it takes $10, what's 4% on 1,000? $40. Okay. So there, the, the bank is paying $10 and they're earning 40, which is a 300% rate of return on their money. So that's, I can, I can, for 2.0, this is going to be clear, but the, the, but that's the point of, of the control cost is, is just like, it's really valuable to think like a banker. And when people say things like infinite banking and other things, and they say like, become the bank. Like, I want us to understand actually how the math works. Banks are institutions that flip our money multiple times, but they're paying us one thing, which is their investment. and They're making a profit on the other end. We're going to be able to do that same thing with the end asset. Does that make sense, David? Absolutely. Okay. Um, Dom, is there anything else that you wanted to say on this list? Yeah. So with that, um, a lot of times you're going to have people that are going to come to you and say, Hey, should I get an and asset to buy um, cars or should I use an and asset to go on vacation or whatever the case is to buy things? Um, that is obviously possible. You can do so. But if we're starting to think like a bank and we're starting to think like the wealthy, we're going to do exactly what they're doing, right? We're going to leverage our and asset to go do income producing activities to go get higher rate of return than what we borrowed at. So if our policy is at 5%, we are going to have that control cost of 5% for our dollars to go leverage it somewhere else to get something higher. If that's in a business, if that's in real estate, whatever that looks like. And that's how the banks are actually operating and not using their and asset for expenses and lifestyle and things like that. Um, and then the other thing is with these questions, these questions one through nine, uh, as the course goes on, we're going to you know show you guys and teach you guys how to ask really great questions when you're talking to clients. But when we get to, the, when we get to that point, I want you to start thinking of this list. Yep. Because I want you to listen. You ask the question like, hey, what is it that you want to accomplish? What is it that you want? And if somebody says, hey, I want to you know, keep my money private or I want to you, you know, protect money from taxes, that's something to know. Oh, the end asset does that. And that's something to focus on. I, I love it. Yeah, this is, the idea of doing a book review before the course is just to prime, prime things. And, and quite frankly, there are things that you'll see in our process that are maybe, quote unquote, better because we've learned a thing or two in the last three and a half, four years in doing this. So thank you, thank you for saying that. Okay, so going back to the golf club, and this this one, this again, is something that I, I actually got from Gary Vaynerchuk, because a while ago he said like, what's the ROI of a piano? <laughs> and he's like, what's the ROI of a, um, a basketball? And he's like, if your name's LeBron, it might be a little different than you. The, the point is, you could, you could use this example for anybody, it's like, what is the what is the rate of return of a football? Okay. For Dom, who played professional, it's a little bit different from me. And then it's a little bit different from Dom to Tom Brady. Tom Brady has made a lot of money, not just on the field, but because he's a good football player. It's how he uses that game. Same thing with the golf club. So same thing as it relates to control. Same thing as it relates to anything, right? So it's one of those things where the number one factor in someone's wealth is themselves and so the the trump card that everybody gets 
is how is this thing going to relate into my life? And so when someone says like, you know, like, I, I don't really care about control. Okay. Or like, I, how do you value control? Or like everyone wants to put a rate of return on everything. Well, at, at the end of the day, what's the rate of return of control? If you're Chris Kirkpatrick, it might be higher than if it's an average person on the street. And so that we just have to understand that that's why this whole chapter is about the importance of control and looking through the lens of control. Um, this is, this is something that is something that you guys want to tap into when you guys are doing personal branding, when you're doing things like, you know, having conversations, you want to be the type of person that leans into control. You just want to be that person. And that's, that's, that's really going to be key, but it's something for you guys to think about because the same thing goes with, you know, you know, oh, this business is really hard. Yes. And it's like, not everyone makes a good living at it, but it depends on people, what people do with the information, with the opportunity. And so that's just one of, this is one of my um, favorite examples to use just in business coaching, because it gets people to expand their brains and, and people will say like, what's the rate of return of, you know, advertising or speaking and all these things. It's like, it, it depends, depends on how you use the opportunity. Same thing goes with, um, if, if we understand this, then we can ultimately make an infinite rate of return by a plan that you can control versus that you don't control. It all depends on that factor. But if people don't have control over their money and they put a value on control, then we're pretty much wiping out a ton of competition. And there's only a few places that you can have access to money. And if we do that, if we actually go through that whole process, life insurance, I believe, is going to be on top majority of times for majority of people as it relates to looking at all the benefits that life insurance has. Yeah. And I'd say that part is super, super valuable and important for business owners specifically, because what happens to the business owner that takes their dollars and they go put it somewhere that they can go get a 20% rate of return, right? The talk is always rate of return, rate of return, rate of return. You put your money somewhere, you get 20% rate of return, but it's locked up. But then your business now is about to go under because you don't have that control yep. of capital anymore. And now you've lost that uh, opportunity to continue to add value and continue to have your business. Well, that 20% rate of return doesn't sound so nice anymore now that you okay. no longer have that business. We're talking about taxes. And this is, this is interesting because the tax section is kind of outdated um, and needs to be updated. And what's funny is how fast things change. But the story that, that was opened up is like, would you be business partners with someone who's earning 35,000, spends 40, not a great trend by the way, and has over $200,000 of credit card debt? The answer is no, like, would you? No, like we wouldn't want anything to do with them. And yet you add some zeros at the time of writing this book, that was the US you know, situation. Like we are entering into partnerships, we're getting in bed with the institutions literally are underwater and we think that's a good idea because that's what we've been taught at that's what we've been taught that that's what we should do so it's just just a good way to open up i I've, I've gotten a lot of stories about that and then the would you go into a bank you know take out a 30-year loan uh, and 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 with the understanding that you'll have to pay it back at 30 years but they'll tell you how much they need and then you'll pay them back we'd be like no we would we never do that um and yet we're doing that every day we're doing that every day because we do not know the future factors. Like we're entering into contracts. We don't know what the future holds. Will taxes be higher? I don't know. Will taxes be lower? I don't know. It's kind of scary that we don't know though. Uh, and all trends are pointing in one direction.
So here's what I want to do. I'm going to go off script here a little bit. I'm going to take you to something that we should all be familiar with. U.S. Debt Clock.org. Right here. U.S. Debt Clock.org. Let me, let me show you a couple things. Number one, this is the debt. $28 trillion. If you want to be depressed tonight, Google what does a trillion, like how much is a trillion? Because it's a lot. You start looking at it compared to like what a million is, it's a joke. So what, so this is what, this is what's interesting, you know, but, but what not a lot of people will show you is some other things to look at. So, you know, this is the tax revenue that, that we're bringing in. And if you go down here, here's the, the budget of Medicare and Medicaid and social security and, and defense and the interest on debt. Here's the U.S. total debt, meaning the unfunded, the unfunded liabilities. These are things that we're on the hook for, and I have an example in, in the book, um, Social Security, Interest, Medicaid, and you know, everything else. $86 trillion. $86 trillion. So what's interesting is it, it just, I mean, yes, $28 trillion is a lot of money. It's a ton of money. And, and what's interesting about this is you can go back, you can go back in time, 1980, we had, we didn't even have a trillion. And then you can move it forward, you know, to 1999, we had our first 2.9 trillion. So it's, it's interesting, this, this tool is free and you don't have to do a lot of selling. You just have to show people and people people are smart enough to say like, oh, this, this is not a great trend. In 1980, it was going up a thousand every second. And then now it's going up like a hundred thousand every second. Yeah. And then what, what about, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, it's not, it's, it's bad. Right. And we go to 2025. Yikes. 2025 here, are the projections. I, I don't know what to say other than this is not a great trend. If we want to go after high net worth people, understand taxes because it's especially after yesterday you know it's like people are in a bad mood they don't and they don't think taxes are going to go down okay um let's go back to the powerpoint okay so yeah i mean that's i i just i believe and, th and this was written i believe before the movie power of zero came out and the whole purpose of that movie is just to show like to get people to understand that there's a tax train coming down and it's it's really powerful because it brings in it brings an emotion that gets people to take action and so the the big thing is I, I want us all to to take note of this is a lot of people talk about you know deferring their tax they're deferring their tax um, they're um, they're doing tax deferral plans they're getting a deduction which is a lie because a true deduction means you actually get to deduct your taxes. And you could, you could prove that it's not a deduction because at the end of the day, you're, you're getting a benefit, but you're not deducting any tax. You're just postponing it. You're kicking the can down the road. So the one thing that I would like everyone's language to change is when you think about plans that 
push taxes to the future, just you start using the word postponement. Like they're postponing the tax. We don't know what the threshold's going to be and we don't know what the rate's going to be. A lot of people talk about the rate. Like, oh, taxes are going to go up. The, the ninja way for politicians to raise more revenue is to change the thresholds. It, the media doesn't pick it up. People don't, people don't freak out. At the end of the day, the threshold of like, are we going to tax on 100000 or a $1 million? What, what's going to be the highest tax rate? That you can raise a lot of revenue by just changing the thresholds. The point is, um, we don't have a lot of control over that. Um, and so in this, in, in this chapter, I talk about three examples. And they're all attacking something and it all just it all just goes down to like it is it worth it like do do we want to pay tax on the seed or the harvest and there's a lot of things unknown and it just gets people to start thinking um this this is interesting almost ten thousand baby boomers turn 65 every day how, how is that going to affect the long-term effects of you know, taxation and other things. We have to pay for, for Medicare, Social Security, yeah. everything for them. This is, we, we love the baby boomers, by the way. So don't, but it's just, it's just reality. It's just interesting. Um, so here's, here's one thing that is also fascinating is, okay, if you're meeting with a, if you're meeting with clients who are in financial ruin, there's three things that they need to, they, there's three things that you need to do. So if you met with this people that are making, that are making 30 or what, what is the example? They're bringing in 34, they're, they're bringing in 35, they're spending 40 and they're $200,000 in debt. What are some of the things that they could do? Okay. Debt needs to be paid down. I don't know with what money expenses need to decrease, stop spending money and you need to raise, you need to make more money and just. I think majority of people would agree that it's we are in a position right now, and I'm empathetic to the position we're in, but you, we're not in a position where you can just cut, cut programs. Like whether you like it or not, there's certain programs that we could have a debate about, but no politician's gonna do that because it's gonna be um, suicide politically. And so I don't see anybody, even Republicans or super conservatives saying they're gonna, like they spend just as much money as as the Democrats, they just spend it on different things. And so you look at programs and it's, it's, it's a problem. And then you look at like, what is the solution? Well, we're either gonna cut spending or we're gonna have to make more money. And what end up might, we might just continue this issue, but it's just, it, it does cause a lot of questions. And at the end of the day, I, um, economically, you're not gonna get out of this by taxing higher, higher taxes because you're actually gonna, disincentivize uh, entrepreneurship and people to make money and, and all of that. So there, so there's going to be a, we're in, we're in a pickle, but when you look at where trends are going, it's definitely, there's not a lot of people talking about, we need lowering taxes. I, I could pretty much talk the whole time on taxation, controlling your money, like a banker. Uh, this, this one was actually really fun for me because everyone, everyone's talking about, this is like, this comes from bank on yourself kind of deal. Like, um, you want to be the bank, all these things. And it's like, okay, you're saying that, but like, what are the characteristics of a bank that are good? Like, why, like, what do we want? Why do we want to be like the bank? And so if you actually look at a bank, there's five things that they do. And IE, these five things are something that we should do. So it's like, I'm not going to be out there saying, be your own bank, like start your own bank. 
use the principles like a bank and you can call it whatever you want. If you want to do a family bank, you can call it that. But at the end of the day, what are the principles? And the, and the first principle um, is, is um, flow, getting, getting your money to flow to you. Like banks will pay you a direct, like they will, they will waive fees and stuff when you can connect certain accounts and have money automatically flowing to you every, every two weeks or whatever. It's, it's a, like they are institutions that are literally magnets for money. They're getting money to come in, come in powerfully. Number two is the leverage piece. It's where I, where I, you know, read last, last time with the control costs. And it's, and it's interesting because banks take this concept of leverage and just maximize it. And I, I show a cash investor and, um, and if you look at a cash investor, they have a hundred dollar investment and they, and like, say they make a 4% profit. So they, they put their hundred dollars into an investment that earns 4%, their return on investment is 4%. So at the end of the year, they have $104. A bank is like, okay, they're going to, their investments $1 because they're paying that 1% on your hundred dollars. Then they go lend it to Dom over here and say, I'm going to, I'm going to get that. 4%, but the profit is 3% because their control cost is one. Okay. So we might have to say this over again, just to make sure that everyone's on the same page. Your control cost is one. You make four. That means your profit's $3. They the bank makes 300% in this scenario. And they they took $1 and got, and got an investment. Whereas the, the, um, good old cash investor had no leverage in their life and put all my money at risk. This is, this is the thing that banks are doing. They're maximizing leverage. What we're going to be able to do through the and asset is we're going to maximize and lean into leverage and going back to what Bill was saying and lean into the power of giving your dollar more than one job. That's only made possible through leverage. A lot of people think leverage is a bad thing. I think it creates more safety, more options, more wealth, and it's, and it's tax efficient. It, understanding how to properly leverage our wealth. Number three is liquidity. It goes back to the golden rule, right? Whoever has the gold makes the rules. Everyone, it was crazy to me um, looking at people that worked at our bank um, and they would, they would come in and they would put their money and have certain investments, SEP IRAs, whatever, and then they would come beg for a business loan. Why did they do that? Because the banks were the institutions that were the easiest place to get money. And so because of that liquidity becomes opportunities. And think about that. How many of us are able to, if something happens in the economy in the next year or two, for us to make a jump? You know, how many of us have the liquidity of our assets and, and it really comes down to opportunities? Um, no, number four is really interesting, is they understand the, how to collateralize and shift the risk from, from them to you. So it's not only am I gonna make 300% on, on Dom, but then I'm gonna make him put up his car or I'm going to make him put up his house because if he doesn't pay me, I'm going to foreclose on him. Guys, that's called being smart. Banks are smart. They're, they're getting all these things and then they're, by the way, they're shifting risk. And, and then number, number five, which this is the thing that I have to give most credit to, to people like Nelson Nash and others, is talking about the importance of velocity. And the, one of the examples is running, running water like a river versus a pond. You want your money to be in motion. The cool thing about banks, and I'm going to go back to the leverage piece. This, this 
scenario saying, okay, I, I control cost is $1. I'm making three. So I'm making 300%. And that's, that's one that's like, boom. And then I can flip money multiple times. And there's problems with the federal reserve. Like there's, there's a lot of problems that, that comes with the banks to be able to lend out money that they don't have kind of deal. And the federal reserve just printing money. But at the end of the day, um, what they're doing, what we should be able to model is they're, they're flipping money. They're, they're using it multiple places. And this is the thing that a lot of people miss. Um, I would say quote, or maybe miss, like they, they, they think there's something special about borrowing from your policy to buy certain things. At the end of the day, we want to create more money flowing to us. And we want to have our mind thinking about what are opportunities. And if you can make an investment and, and make a 4%, but it's on one month versus a year, now you have your capital back ready to deploy for other things. Banks do it really well. And ultimately, the, 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 the philosophy of velocity is, is really, really powerful. Um, all right. Isn't it just kind of crazy when you think about like the process, like the bank takes your money, they lend them same money essentially to you. Yeah. And then you have to put your house up as collateral and then you have to pay them money for that, that note. And then they take your money and go repeat that with somebody else. Yeah. They're like, it's, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to incentivize you to flow money to us. We're going to leverage. We have all the money. So you're going to have to come to us. Oh, by the way, when you do come to us, we're going to make you put up your collateral because God forbid, I don't want to lose money on you. And oh, by the way, we're going to then do this multiple times. And they, they use no, no money, none of their, none of their money. Well, they, they I, use some of their money, barely. The, the, the cost of doing business. And yeah. by the way, in full honesty, my, the, the, the bank owner, JG, doesn't like this chapter because he's like, Caleb, that 1% is not fair because we have cost of doing business, salaries bank lights, like all 100%. I'm not saying the bank earns 300%. I'm saying that's what math says, but there's a lot of, it's, there's a lot of money. And then I, I was like, isn't it remarkable that a bank that just marks up money is able to have three locations and 24 employees. That's pretty wild. It's like, what do, what do we do to stay in business? It's, it's because banking is really profitable. And instead of hating on the banks, we should learn to do, do that uninterrupted compounding. We have to play a lifetime game. We have to, if we're going to commit to a compounding strategy, we have to commit it for life. And then we have to understand everything that works against us. Every time you lose a dollar, you don't just lose that dollar, but you lose the generational impact that that dollar can have on you and, and in your future. Control. Control is all about number one. What is the value of that? We lean into the entrepreneurial of like, I want to be at the center. I want to be able to access my money, but also for the people that you guys are seeing, how much control do they have over anything? Like there are people that can make decisions that can wipe people out. So think about lean into that. Number three, taxes. Taxes is like this, this thing that we, we don't have a lot of clarity on, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of things pointing to this is this our country is going to be put in a position to do things that are probably could could compromise your ability to build wealth. That's what I'll say. So it's like, how important is that? And I, I know, Holly, you said that there's there's institutions that just use the tax thing. That's their pitch. It's not a bad pitch. And then number and then the number four section, chapter seven is controlling your money like a bank. And the big thing I want you guys to understand is the importance of the principles, especially be behind flowing your money 
and controlling your money and control costs and the importance of leverage and the profoundness of, of that. Because next, next week, we're going to then talk about the and asset. And Bill, what you're saying is bring it all together, like bringing it all together. Now that we, have the, now that we know the importance of efficiency, now that we know the importance of compounding, now that we know the importance of control, and we can have a place to put that in our head, now we're going to look at the and asset and why, when set up and used properly, it's one of the most, most efficient assets because of how it, it analyzes and uses both compounding and control. And, and again, um, this has been really special for me because I've never done a book review. Um, and it's been really fun to just go through. And um, I appreciate all the people that have participated and chatted. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.